You're clean, aren't you? Except for your tower. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King with an occasional focus on his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series. We discuss the themes, characters, and mythology of the series in Palaver episodes and review the books and comic series in Kef episodes. Really need to update that. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) That intro, Jesus Christ. Uh, We also discuss non-Tower King novels, TV and film adaptations of King's work, and the latest news about all things that serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash TowerJunkiesPod, and follow us on Twitter and every other level of social media at TowerJunkiesPod. And uh, if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer, where we have a bunch of different... Uh, re- re- uh, bonus content, some of which has to do with Stephen King, <laughs> um, but the vast majority is. This is what I kind of came up with, thinking about Patreon and how, uh, like how I view our Patreon, mm-hmm. is that I kind of see it as a kind of uh, a, a little like podcast. Um, playground for me um, <laughs> to do basically whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> yeah. So like we have B-roll audio that we just we just talk about just, you know, uh random stuff, killing mm-hmm. pets and um uh pickled banana peppers and stuff. <laughs> That's at the one dollar level. And then at two dollars you get TV and now book reaction recordings. Mm-hmm. And then five dollars gets you movie reactions and commentary tracks. And ten dollars gets you all of that plus early access to content. So sweet. Yeah. So yeah, so you can find that at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Um and so yeah, I'm one of your hosts, Matt Hurt, and joining me today as usual is Tiny, how's it going, Tiny? Hey, buddy, I'm doing good. Nice, nice. Yeah, um, yeah. It's but uh, it's been a little while since we recorded. It's been a couple weeks, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. What's what's new? Oh, um, you know, I just seen you know, the, the virus is raging and the yes. world's going to end from global warming. I don't know. Yes, and pizzas. Uh, you know, you can take that Velcro off. Okay, but um, then she's going to want to play with it. Yeah, I mean, I can I can take it and put it in my pocket or something. Okay. Um. She's like, no, that's my toy. Don't take my toy away. Okay, so yeah, so it's been a couple of weeks. Yep. Um, virus is raging. Yeah. Um, yeah. We are both vaccinated, though. So. We are. We're good to go. Yeah, yeah. Go get your vaccine, everybody. Yeah, did you, uh, I'm not going to. Well, let's not get it. Yes, we everyone. Yeah, we'll go off. Everyone get your vaccine and everything. End of story. Um <laughs> anyway, today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Stephen King's novel, Needful Things, mm-hmm. which this is kind of special because this is one of two listener choice recordings or listener choice reviews. Um, I forgot to bring up the tweets, um, but long and long ago, um, I posted a uh, um, a a poll on Twitter asking... Uh, people like what books we should review um in the 
uh, in the in, in this year at some point. Mm-hmm. So uh, I found the tweet as referenced in today's episode in which uh, which King novel and its movie would you most like us to review at some point in the, on the show in 2021? Four options here and four options in the next tweet. Uh, this first tweet was between Firestarter, Cujo, Needful Things, and The Dark Half. Mm-hmm. And with uh, 41% of the vote, uh, Needful Things won. So that's why we're reviewing Needful Things. Cool. And then in the second batch, um, <laughs> uh, we had Cycle of the Werewolf, Dolores Claiborne, Dreamcatcher, and Cell. And with 37%, Dreamcatcher won. So Thank God. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Just so we don't have to read Cell. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But also now we have to read Dreamcatcher. <laughs> right, yeah. Which isn't, isn't the best. It's been a long time since I read it. Oh, you've read Dreamcatcher? I have read it, yes. Nice. I didn't okay. hate it, but I think uh, it was a while ago. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll have to squeeze that in before the end of the year. Yeah, we'll hopefully. get to it. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, so that's what we're doing today. Before we do that, we're going to have some Stephen King news and check-ins. I'm very excited about the Stephen King check-in that I have because uh, I get to promote the Patreon a little bit more. Mm. But also, um, I'm actually really proud of it. But anyway... We'll get to that. First, we have Stephen King news. Uh, Tiny, I have like four links um, here. Mm-hmm. One is that uh, from Bloody Disgusting, Overlook, bad robot series based on The Shining, finding new home after HBO Max passes. Ugh. Yes. So Overlook was, I think, like it was, I, th- I thought it was like ordered straight to series at HBO Max like a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. right around the time Castle Rock ended. And in fact, uh, the showrunners of Castle Rock were on board to do some writing on o- Overlook. I don't know if they were going to run the show or not. Right. But details were pretty sparse. And I, but I want to say that the idea was it was going to be like a Castle Rock esque um, anthology series. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was not uh, meant to be, I guess. Hmm. So yeah, but. From the sound of it, it sounds like it's it's kind of gonna it, the chances of it finding a new home are pretty good. Okay, so it so, hasn't actually found one yet. They're just shopping right. it, shopping it around, basically. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, from what I understand, Netflix could be a front runner for it. So cool. Hopefully cool. that happens. I think that would be really cool. Nice. Um, I'm gonna pause real quick because I'm gonna try something. Okay. Okay, it worked. Sweet. Okay, so, yeah, so hopefully that we get some news on that. Um, and then, um, this is interesting. Uh, the headline from Rolling Stone, the second news piece, is Stephen King gets into uh, the podcast game with a series based on Night Shift. And so this is going to be um, apparently a series of podcasts that are like... Um, Okay, I'm just going to read from the article from Rolling Stone. Um, uh, Stephen King has partnered with Audio Up Media, iHeart Media, and producer Lee Metzger to create Strawberry Spring, a new show that an ad just blocked the article. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a new show based on a tale from his 1978 short story collection, Night Shift. Um, the series follows a journalist as he hunts for a serial killer named Springheel Jack. Metzger will write and direct while the show will star Garrett Hedlund, Milo Ventimiglia, Horizon hmm. uh, F. Guardiola, uh, Sydney Sweetie, Ken Marino, and Al Madrigal. Sweet. Um, so, yeah, so that's interesting that, uh, you know, uh, Stephen King work is going to be adapted into uh, a narrative podcast for Yeah. Him. 
Um, Welcome, Steve. I mean, yeah, we'll have to send him a basket or something. I, right. Welcome to the club. Yeah, or just a very <laughs> ominous gift, uh, a gif of... Uh, of um, a lock of our hair. That too. Yeah. Um, we'll use a lock of your hair. <laughs> um, for our listeners, he doesn't really have much hair. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, also just a gif of Walter White saying, stay out of my territory. <laughs> um I think you would love that. If you have any need any advice, just reach out. Right, I mean, right. Standing invitation, Steve. <laughs> um, please, <laughs> please. Anyway, um, so that's interesting. Well, I don't know how we're going to cover it. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, but I don't know. You haven't read Night Shift, have you? I haven't. I okay. think I think I've read one or two of the stories from it, mm-hmm. but I haven't read the whole collection. Gotcha. There's yeah. some really good stuff in there. Uh, yeah, I know there is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah, uh, so then rolling right through the next che- the next news that we have, uh, we've got two more news items here uh, from Yard Barker. I don't know what that is, but this hmm. is like, it, it was from an interview that he did on either Good Morning America or someplace. But Stephen King plans to write COVID-inspired novel, and he said, quote, it's going to be difficult. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so how do you feel about this, Tiny? I feel like he already did it with the stand, you know? Kind of. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, obviously there's tons of potential for stories from this, from this pandemic. So, I mean, that's, it's, and it's new Stephen King. We're going to read it. Right. But, um, yeah, I, I I guess I shouldn't write it off before he's Mm -hmm. even said anything about it, but, uh, and that's not what I meant to do, but sure. I, I don't want it to be another stand-esque type thing yeah and i think because even like last year when people were comparing covid to the stand and right. captain trips he even came out and said like it's not the same right like, still take precautions and everything but you know yeah it's not the same <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah so uh, his quote from this article um uh so it's uh basically 73 year old additionally gave his um Okay, this is when he was on the press tour for Billy Summers. Um, He said, I want to write a book next that deals directly with the coronavirus, the author of over 60 novels featuring all-time great horror titles, blah, blah, blah. I want to set it in 2020 and see how that works as a book. It's going to be difficult. Um, So that'll be interesting to see if that that comes to fruition. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then he had an an additional quote that I haven't read that I'm going to read cold on this podcast, and I'm curious if it'll have any information that we can have for conversation. Mm -hmm. But the 73-year-old additionally gave his take on the COVID-19 pandemic. Quote, I live in Florida half the year, and after observation of Ron DeSantis, I can say, how can I put this? He's not the brightest bulb in the chandelier. <laughs> he's got his. He's got this idea that freedom is a personal thing, and it's okay not to wear a mask, and he can order kids in schools not to wear masks if he wants to. The thing is, it's not a personal freedom choice. It's a social issue, and it's a public health issue. It would be a personal choice if I were to light up a cigarette, but it would not be my personal choice if I were to light up a cigarette in the public supermarket and blow smoke in your face. Mm-hmm. That's the big difference, and the thing that they're overlooking... <laughs> Here is that, <laughs> nice. Is that there's just no comparison between personal freedom and the need to wear a damn mask <laughs> so that you're not spreading your COVID germs somewhere uh, where they shouldn't be. Um, God, so I have so much fucking respect for that man. Fucking a. Yeah, Ron DeSantis. I mean, <laughs> um, just kidding. Fuck that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, yeah. So that was that was that's King's stance. And I told you about this. I don't know if this was on Patreon or off mic, but I saw a comment on a Facebook post about this, about him wanting to write a COVID-19 
book where someone on a Stephen King fan page <laughs> posted, like, commented and said, well, COVID-19 is already fiction anyway. Blech. Like, how? I, I just, uh Please catch it. Yes, I hate people. <laughs> I, I really do. Like, god damn it. Uh, last piece of news is that uh, Jackie Brown icon Pam Greer joins cast of Pet Cemetery prequel. Um, <laughs> you're up to are you are you up to date or aware of the Pet Cemetery prequel that's going to come to Paramount Plus? No. Um, okay, I'll just read from the article real quick. The prequel to Paramount's ni- 2019 horror film Pet Cemetery has added Jackie Brown star Pam Greer to its call sheet. Uh, Greer joins a cast that includes Jackson White. Uh, Forrest Goodluck, uh, Jack Mulhern, uh, Natalie Ellen Lind, hmm. and Isabella Starr LeBlanc. The upcoming Pet Cemetery will serve as an origin story to the Stephen King novel about a family that discovers a rather disturbing graveyard and the woods behind their home. Uh, the movie, which still doesn't have a title, begins shooting in August and will debut exclusively on Paramount Plus, the recently rebranded streaming service from Viacom CBS, on an undetermined date. Um, hmm. cannot tell you how little interest I have in this. I was going to say, I'm not excited for that at all. Yeah. Like, I mean, God, I, I don't. Talk about a, a story that does not need prequels or a sequel. It, it does not need an origin story by no. any stretch. No. And from what I can gather, the origin story is probably going to deal with the Wendigo. And maybe I think one of those actors are playing a young Judd Crandall. Mm. Which can be kind of interesting, yeah. But also, who's asking for this? Right. right. I mean, first of all, the 2019 Pet Cemetery movie was not good. Not good. And second of all, again, it doesn't need an origin story. Right. <laughs> like the power of that story on the page is Lewis Creed and his dilemma and his grief and everything. Mm-hmm. Take that out and just focus on the horror stuff. That's what gets people who try to adapt Stephen King in trouble. For the last several decades, mm-hmm. is they try to just figure out what's scary about it and just do that. Yeah, right. Ugh. So yeah, so that's frustrating. But yeah. Pam, Pam, Pam Greer is really good. So right, that's, that's cool. Positive spot for it. Yep. Paramount yep. Plus, though. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm still just not enthused with that service. I I did re up a subscription. Okay. And I have been using it on my new Roku. Nice fine it's fine mm-hmm. um i've been watching a lot of wings oh cool um, yeah, yeah i need to my dad pays for it i need mm-hmm. to get his password nice um because it has i think you can see um a quiet place part two on there yep yeah so yep. i want it it oh. is available on i missed I, I i assume that's still in theaters but i maybe maybe not it might be out by now yeah but uh i never got to, i never saw it in theaters i should yeah. have and it's really it's it's something nice like, did i i didn't write a review of it I reviewed it with mm. I reviewed it with Ben on Obsessed. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's got Killian Murphy in it. Yeah, right, not, yeah. right. Plus um, Emily Blunt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I will say that Paramount Plus also has the dreadful movie Infinite, uh, a science fiction movie about Mark Wahlberg uh, discovering that uh, he. His schizophrenia is actually memories from a past life, and it's it's <laughs> okay. It's pretty bad. Yeah. It's did pretty, you watch it? I did. Yeah. 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 Damn. But anyway, that's Paramount Plus. Gotcha. Um, that's our Paramount Plus corner on Tower Junkies. I'm sure it's improved as a service. Yeah, the interface is fine. Yeah. It's it's not. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. 
Um, anyways, yeah. Yep. Um, but we've got some Stephen King check-ins to do. Mm, y- you do, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> other than finishing um, Needful Things, mm. I don't I don't have any other check-ins. Okay. You yeah. did buy a certain audiobook. I did purchase nice. um, Billy Summers. Yes. And I how are you feeling it. about that? Like, are you excited to start it? Um, I'm not as excited because it's kind of the... The thriller thing. Um, mm. I, I guess I'm just not ex- not as excited about Stephen King in that genre. Yeah, um, I totally get that. But I did. I mean, I did enjoy the um, uh, Bill Hodges trilogy. Thank you, Bill. I was yeah. gonna say Bill Weathers or something. I was like, what? <laughs> uh, I did enjoy the Bill Hodges trilogy, but mm-hmm. they're not like. I'm not sure I want more of it. I'll put it that way. Gotcha. Um, but uh, you seem to really like it, so. Yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and I don't want to get your hopes up or anything because I, okay. I mean manage your expectations, but sure. I was I was really taken with it. Um, and on that note, do you want me to go into my check in? Yes, sir. Okay, I'm really excited about this because <laughs> hopefully it means that people listening might donate on Patreon. <laughs> uh, but basically, what I did um, was I started listening to Billy Summers on Audible, and then I had this idea that I would record. Patreon exclusive recordings um, and installments as I read Billy Summers. So it was kind of just a complete fly by the seat of my pants kind of thing. I didn't like I didn't sit there and say like, oh, this this book has 24 chapters. So I'm going to do six chapter increments or anything. I didn't do anything like that. It was like a okay if I find a natural stopping point in the narrative, I'll close it, record and then post it on Patreon and then resume. And uh, because Stephen King is such a good storyteller and it's paced very well, that factored into about a hundred pages per installment. Mm. So I have on Patreon, and this is where I'm going to pitch to the listener that we're going to we're going to review Billy Summers on the podcast. We are going to review it. Um, it might be in a few weeks. Tiny, I think you're going to start it next week, probably. Probably, yeah. Um, and uh, so in the in the meantime, we have Needful Things, the movie to review. So it's going to be a few weeks before that. But if you want access to my thoughts on Billy Summers, if you go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, and if you select the $2 Patreon tier, you will have instant, it'll, it'll immediately charge you the $2, but you'll have immediate access to five episodes of me talking about Billy Summers that totals four hours worth of audio. (laughs) Damn. So I talked about this book for four hours (laughs) and you guys, all you have to do is pay me $2 and you get instant access to that. Plus like over a hundred and some just bullshit recordings that we've done on the $1 tier Mm -hmm. and other TV show, like TV show uh, reactions and stuff, including episode by episode uh, reactions to Lisey's story at the $2 level. So, that's my pitch. $2 on patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. You get instant access to five episodes of me talking about Billy Summers in a hundred page installments, totaling four hours of audio. Again, that's patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Sweet. Um, yeah. So I'm in, and to be completely honest, I am very proud of it. Nice. Um, and I don't know if, I don't know if sitting, I don't know if stopping and thinking about the book and then talking and talking it out to myself in those like 45 to 50 minute installments, I don't know if that is what caused me to really like the book more than I probably would have. Mm-hmm. But I think that I picked up on things and I, I wasn't, 
kind of thinking about things in a way that obviously I didn't know what was to come. So I, I thought about the book a lot more than I probably would have if I just had it listening to it. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Cool. Speaking yeah. of Patreon. Yes. Do you use the Patreon app at all? Not really. No, I don't. Okay. okay. No. Gotcha. Do so, you? Yeah. So like for my main podcasting app, I switched mm-hmm. over to Spotify. Right. Which I talked about before and mm-hmm. I don't really care for it that much. Okay. Um, and so I never took the time to like plug in my RSS feed. Oh, yeah. And so I just never did it. And so I ended up just going to the downloading the Patreon app. Okay. And that's how I listen to any Patreon stuff is like, it's actually a pretty good little like podcasting style app. Like, oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's actually really nice. You can download stuff and store it and organize it and stream stuff directly from it. That's um, awesome. It's, it's, it's a pretty nice little app actually. Like I, nice. that's kind of been my go-to for anything I listen to that's Patreon based. So nice. Yeah. It's, it's a cool, just a little plug for the app, you know, cause I bet, I bet a lot of people just do the RSS feed thing and, you know, and that's cool, but yeah. My whole thing is I kind of think, because like I do the RSS feed thing, because mm-hmm. it, it works really well with Pocket Cast, because I use Pocket Cast for podcasts, because mm-hmm. um, I can just copy and paste the RSS feed for Patreon and just throw it in there, and it's just, it appears as its own podcast. Um, but I feel like a lot of people do that same thing, where they just go to the page and they listen to it on there or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, so I don't know. But I, I did get really good feedback on the uh, book reaction thing, which I don't want to say this on the podcast because I don't want to lock myself into doing something even <laughs> more. Um, but friend of the show, Aaron, uh, he Aaron in the UK, uh, he said, uh, really enjoying that Billy Summers on Patreon uh, at Obsessive Viewer. I think you should do them for more books you are reading slash listening to. Thumbs up. And, oh boy. Yeah. So I think maybe the $2 tier will be like TV and book reactions. Okay. Um I don't know. And then I still think that I might do a sci-fi tier. I don't know. Right. But like I said, Patreon is like my little playground of mm-hmm. content. Yeah. Um you can experiment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Um as a Patreon supporter, Tiny, would you be interested in hearing my book reviews on the $2 level? Sure. I'm not against it at all. Okay, good. Yeah. That's very diplomatic. I like that. <laughs> um, so anyway, go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, pledge $2 or $5 or $10 if you're, you know, feeling generous. <laughs> um, but yeah, but anyway, I'm really excited because I really liked the uh, Billy Summer stuff that they did there. Cool. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, uh, that's it for news and check-ins. Should we get into our review of Needful Things? Yeesh. All right, so I'm going to read the plot summary, courtesy of stephenking.com. Um, and here we go. Um, so, uh, I'm trying to think, should I have played the intro music before? Oh, no, 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 we'll do that before the non-spoiler. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so anyway, the synopsis, according to stephenking.com, for Needful Things... Is Leland Gaunt opens a new shop in Castle Rock called Needful Things. Anyone who enters uh, his store finds the object of his or her lifelong dreams and desires: a prized baseball card, a healing amulet, a in addition to a token payment, 
uh, Gaunt requests that each person perform a little deed using a seemingly innocent prank played on someone else from town. These practical jokes cascade out of control and soon the entire town is doing battle with itself. Only Sheriff Alan Pangborn suspects that Gaunt is behind the population's increasingly violent behavior. Uh, published in October 1991 by Viking Press, uh, Needful Things was <laughs> billed as the last Castle Rock story. Yeah. And anytime I thought about that, I had two two images in my head. Uh, one being the Thor Ragnarok, like, is it though? <laughs> GIF. Um, yeah. And then the second one, which I don't think you've seen this particular sketch, but from um, I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson on Netflix, uh, I think uh, there's there's a sketch. It's it's a long thing, but uh, I think the, the episode, I think it's like the th- it was the third episode. Yeah, it was the episode that I showed you tonight. But, mm-hmm. um, but there's a scene where Tim Robinson is is addressing the, like he's he's pitching something or he's talking to the, talking to the screen or talking to the camera, and he says like, "Oh, they said that they fired me because of this." Blah blah blah. And then he says, "You sure about that? You sure about that? That's why." <laughs> um, and I just keep thinking that. But anyway, whenever I think the last Castle, Castle Rock story, I'm like, "You sure about that?" You sure about that? That's why. Mm-hmm. Um, because, of course, Castle Rock has appeared in Elevation and uh, Gwendy's, uh, Gwendy's Button Box and Gwendy's uh, Final Task, which is coming out in February. Mm. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, you sure about that? Um, <laughs> sure about that, Stevie? So, yeah. Um, and also, per from StephenKing.com, the inspiration for Needful Things. I'll read this very long uh, excerpt from it. So... Here we go. Uh, quote, I guess I was one of the few people in the United States who thought the 80s were really funny. <laughs> it was a decade in which people decided, for a while at least, that greed was good and that hypocrisy was simply another tool for getting along. It was the last hurrah for cigarettes, unsafe sex, and all sorts of drugs. It was the final corruption of the love and peace generation, the big cop-out, and I thought it was a case of having to laugh. It was either that or cry. I was thinking about all this one night while driving home from a baseball game, and my thoughts centered on Jim and Tammy Faye Baker uh, of the PTL Club. It occurred to me that in the 80s, everything had come with a price tag, that the decade uh, quite literally was the sale of the century. The final items up on the block had been honor, integrity, self-respect, and innocence. By the time I got home that night, I decided to turn the 80s into a small-town curio shop called Needful Things (laughs) and see what happened. I told myself to keep it light and surreal, that if I just kept in mind the baker's doghouse, which had been equipped with heaters and running water, I would be okay. And that's what I did. The book didn't review well. (laughs) Either a lot of critics didn't get the joke or didn't appreciate it. The readers liked it, though, and that's what matters to me. Um, So, yeah. So, that's kind of all the preamble we have for Needful Things. Uh, Tiny, shall we dicker? Yes. Okay. So we're going to do a non-spoiler review and a spoiler review for Needful Things. The non-spoiler is going to be a uh, kind of broad overview, I think. Um, and then I'll play like a bit of music to uh, to put us into spoilers. But we'll warn you ahead of time. We have timestamps in the show notes and everything if, for whatever reason. Um, so yeah, so let's go into non-spoilers first. I don't I don't have any history with this book. Do you have any history with it? I have none. Okay. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Um I'd always kind of thought that it would be a book that I would be interested in. Like it's something that always piqued my interest. Um and I mean it didn't really disappoint on that end, but um 
but yeah, I thought I, I, I didn't have any history or I hadn't read it before or anything. Um, and also a bit of trivia, um, per Wikipedia, it's the first novel King wrote after his rehabilitation from drug and alcohol addiction. Right. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah. So tiny. Yep. In non-spoiler thoughts, what did you think of the novel Needful Things? Well, I did like it. Um, I think it was giving me a lot of feelings of kind of like the Tommyknockers, um, kind of like this broad, broad town that has a lot mm-hmm. of, um, it's a small town, but it's a, a broad story because it involves so many different people. Um, it, so it made me think of Tommyknockers for that reason, um, which was not a good book. Mm-hmm. Um, so I that was a little off-putting to me, but um, I think what made it, better was the the premise was better here and i think the uh the characters were a lot better and um it just it, it was just a better better written book all around so um it's it's definitely not much more comparable to tommy knuckers other than the fact that it kind of involves the whole town that's that's really the yeah. only way um so i don't want to off put anybody for mm-hmm. that reason but um it's a I lot think- more coherent much more coherent, yeah. Much, much more succinct, or uh, uh, much better, much better storytelling, more linear, yeah. easier to follow, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I think uh, again, the characters really made it for me, and, and I think mm. I think there's so many things. King is so good at boiling things down to stuff being relatable, mm-hmm. and um, for example, the first. Like the first interaction we have at the store is this little kid looking for a baseball card. Yeah. And that's so pure in and of itself. I feel like when most of us were kids, we collected something mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, some of us are still collectors today. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's just, it's a very pure thing that most mm-hmm. of us experienced as kids. There's this something we wanted so bad. Yeah. And the, to tap into that really draws, drew in the reader really drew me in probably draws in drew in readers for decades with this book but uh yeah i I think that was such a great place to start with it um and from there all these other people who have their you know wants and desires Mm -hmm. their needful things um really helps carry the movie and carry the book and keep Mm -hmm. it grounded it's 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 a good story in that regard um but the way it kind of meanders is a little wild um just how it all comes together and um the motivations of the villain i think are a little goofy yeah and it well it's just kind of um, of open-ended too yeah it's kind of it's it's not very clear exactly Mm -hmm. what was going on um i mean that we find out in the end but it's not i i think we, it would have been better to get some pieces along the way mm-hmm. and then have it all come together at the end. Cause it was all just kind of like, okay, what's, what's he going for here? What's his yeah. motivation? Is he just a, is he just like a Joker type character who's right. just wants to create all this chaos for mm. his pleasure and enjoyment? I, I, I don't know what it is here. Um, so I think that kind of drug it down a little bit for me. Um, but, uh, Leland Gaunt was like a really good, like his, his, the way he, his conniving and his manipulation of people was pretty satisfying. I, I agree. In terms of, in terms of the writing of the villain, I really, really liked the way that 
the way that King wrote the characters of the town being simultaneously repelled and drawn to Leland Gaunt, mm-hmm. like any time he comes close to like touching them, <laughs> like it's just repulsive and disgusting and horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're still drawn to him in terms of greed and and their wants and desires. Um, something I do want to say <laughs> that I feel like I I wish I would have known ahead of time. I really, really wish that we would have covered uh, the dark half beforehand. <laughs> yeah. Um, because there is some spoilers for the dark half in this book. And I did not know that Alan Pangborn was in the dark half mm-hmm. or anything. And I even found out um, today that the dark half movie came out the same year as the, the as Needful Things oh, shit. movie. So, like, huh. it would have been interesting to do that. But I don't right. know. Maybe we, can, maybe we can do the dark half soon. Yeah. Um, but... But yeah, my kind of overall thoughts is that I was I I was a little bit I don't want to say I was a little bit let down by the book, but I think that having spent years thinking like, okay, this sounds like it's my jam. This sounds like something that I would be very interested in. Um, just in terms of like this demon character seducing a town with by by fulfilling their every want and need and everything. That was my interpretation of it. That was my my expectation of it. And like on that level, it delivered. And I think that certain, certain aspects of it, I think were really, really satisfying. In particular, the, the way that uh, several of the characters are written, like you said, Brian Rusk, um, that purity of, of wanting the baseball card. And I think that that's a really important opening scene or first scene with Leland Gaunt because, because kind of the main story of the book, the kind of overall idea of it is, my interpretation of it is like the death of an American town, like Americana and everything, which Mm -hmm. is something Stephen King has written to just uh, like, it's one of my favorite things about Stephen King's writing, just that small town America, that Americana feel. Like, I think that that is one of his greatest strengths as a writer is the way that he can depict this normal everyday American small town and fill it with demons and, and his own horror spins. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's really prevalent and evident in that first scene with Brian and Leland at the store. Cause like you said, he's, he's wanting a, he's just wants a baseball card. And like that is like, I mean, you, how much more America can you get? Right. <laughs> like a little kid wanting a baseball card in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's, it was really satisfying to me that that kind of drew me in. And as the story progressed, I found a lot, lot of correlations it's something that i've so so something that i've noticed in a lot of stephen king stuff that i've been reading over the last several years as i've also been doing um off and on um my anthology podcast where i talk about the twilight zone and other science fiction anthology shows and movies and stuff um as i'm kind of doing double duty of discovering the twilight zone finding like watching twilight zone episodes and everything and discussing them dissecting them and do like listening and reading and watching a lot of Stephen King stuff is so much overlap in tone. Like it's very clear. Stephen King is extraordinarily heavily influenced by Rod Serling and the twilight zone Mm -hmm. as to be honest, as every great writer should be (laughs) (laughs) Um, because the twilight zone is, is remarkable. And Rod Serling was a, was a genius. Um, But in particular needful things, the way that, it has Leland Gaunt playing this kind of um, 
uh, puppeteer kind of thing around the town and wreaking havoc, causing chaos and sowing all of this all of this conflict within the within the town reminded me so much of one of my favorite episodes of the Twilight Zone, which I have a poster for right here, the Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. So as the story unfolds, the characters, it, it, the thing that I found really compelling about Needful Things is the way that it it exposes or it's it depicts small town, small tight knit communities as these incredibly fragile and volatile ecosystems unto themselves. Um, and I think that that's just really compelling storytelling, even if kind of in the overall scheme of things, the book didn't necessarily land as hard for me as I, as I would have liked it to. Um, I do think that that kind of exploration of, of small town America is, is really interesting and compelling and frightening. Yeah. It's, and it's a great, environment to tell a story yeah it's it's funny that when it comes to small towns a lot of the time with a small town a small change has a big impact and Mm -hmm. because of the nature of leland gaunt and what he is he has a huge impact and it should be a very obvious thing it should be um he should have been discovered for what he was very quickly yeah but because of his nature and how he's sort of asked these people to do these questionable things it everyone wants to keep it a big secret that and also he's it's another example of like a villain character a demon kind of character glamoring people right like he has this hold over them and i think it's more i think that might be kind of what kind of drew me out of the book a little bit is that it's another instance of Stephen King showing his, his love and affinity for vampire stories without doing vampire stories. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, because I mean, like I think similar with like Dr. Sleep, people manipulating people, glamoring people to, to be prey and everything. And here he is convincing people through magic and, and mysticism and everything to do his bidding. And it's very vampiric in the way it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in that same note, kind, kind of to your point about it being similar to Tommyknockers, I feel like this book is, is like a, is like a reflection of Salem's lot in a sense. Yeah. And it feels like Salem's lot was Stephen King, one of his first outings doing like the small town community mm-hmm. with, you know, a, <laughs> an, outs- an outsider comes an in, an outsider comes in, starts a business yeah. <laughs> and, uh, destroys the town or, or threatens the town. And then now this is the, basically the same blueprint, but in a bigger, more sprawling kind of story with more, more characters that are more well-written and more, more well-drawn. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it just seems a little too familiar with stuff that he's done in the past. And I mean, it's not even like, I mean, it kind of is the same way in terms of a big, a big town kind of setting and everything. And then, uh, other communities in his repertoire. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it kind of felt a little bit, I don't want to say run of the mill or paint by numbers by any stretch, but it felt very familiar to Stephen King's style. Derivative. A little derivative. Yeah. 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 So that was, that was kind of a bummer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, yeah. um, it didn't, 
I don't want to make a comparison to um, Under the Dome. Right. Because Under the Dome is, you know, it, it's also a small town thing, but mm-hmm. the, the conflict is entirely different. Yeah. Um, it's really just this one, you know, w- with something like um, Salem's Lot or Needful Things, you have this outsider who's influencing everybody. But yeah. with Under the Dome, you had this catastrophic phenomenon mm-hmm. that's causing everything that's under the surface to boil up to the surface. And yeah. it, the the conflict happens as a result of the real people that these, mm-hmm. the, the, the real, the real person that these people are behind closed doors boils, all boils to the surface and they all yeah. have this conflict within the, the dome. So it's, it, it, it didn't make me think of under the dome, but I was thinking of like the small town mm-hmm. stories that he's written. Um, and it, it made me want. To, it made me want to reread Under the Dome because it's yeah. been a long time. But honestly, I um, I kind of want to do like a Patreon recording for right. like piece by piece. Yeah, that would take a while. Um, but yeah, it, it. I don't know. It Under the Dome came to mind because I was like, I, I wanted. I would have preferred something a little more. You know, g- g- give us a different kind of conflict. Like I, I, he does the small town thing so well, and the 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 yeah. broad spectrum of characters thing, a, a big cast. Mm-hmm. He does that really well, but it's. Like you said, it was just a little bit tired and a little derivative. Yeah, and also, to a certain extent, I think that the kind of large cast of characters is somewhat detrimental to the overall story. Because, like, it, they're, they're all really well-drawn and, and everything. But by the time we get, like, the speech teacher's, uh, her conflict with her boyfriend and, and that yeah. whole thing, it kind of feels like, okay, well, I don't feel like we really we really had enough of their relationship or we had enough of their context. It was just all King explaining us, explaining to us like the nature of their relationship and everything. And then I will say that one of the best, the best kind of character beats and, and characterizations in this book was, uh, Alan Pangborn and his grief over his, over his wife and child. Right. I thought that was beautifully written and mm-hmm. incredible. Yeah. Um, and the way it tied into everything. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that, that came together really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, let me ask you this before we go into spoilers. Did the, oh, maybe we can do this in spoilers. I don't know, but did this book change your, cause I know that you weren't that big of a fan of season two of Castle Rock. Mm-hmm. Did this? Did reading this book make you kind of rethink anything or reconsider anything in Castle Rock season two? Not really. Okay. No. Um, no. I. But I mean, <laughs> the whole time I was picturing Paul Sparks as uh, Ace Merrill. Ace Merrill. Yeah. yeah so, which uh, I I think I tweeted this or something. But we were at the we were at an advanced oh, screening. Yeah. And like we were talking before the movie, and like you said, you said that like oh, I keep picturing Paul Sparks as Ace Merrill. But I couldn't hear you clearly, and I, I legitimately thought you said, I keep picturing Paul Sparks as a sparrow. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. like, and, and, like, my brain didn't catch up to the misunderstanding, and I was just like, yeah, wait, what? <laughs> like, what? Oh, my God. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, if anything, I'm very excited for you to hear his narration for Billy Summers, because yeah. I think he does a great job. Nice. Um, shall we go into spoilers for Needful Things? Sure, yeah. Okay, before we do that, um, does this land anywhere on your top 19, or? No, I don't think so. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, I don't think it's cracked my top 19. Where did I place it in my overall ranking? Um, Stephen King novels. I did add it, didn't I? Um, Needful Things is... Wait... 
Did I not add it? I didn't add it. Oh my god. Wow. Shocking. Shocking. Jeez. Um, yeah, I'm going to add it at number... You know, I'll do number 27. <laughs> um, needful. I can't believe I didn't add that. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. That's like the first thing I do when I finish a Stephen King book. Um, Jesus. By the way, Billy Summers... I will say this. I've like a, I I have finished Billy Summers. I have all five episodes on Patreon and everything. Billy Summers, I could probably say this for when we review it, mm-hmm. but when you t- factor in all of Stephen King's books that I've read in terms of collections of short stories, nonfiction, and novels, Billy Summers is my 50th Stephen King book. Dang. Yes. Awesome. Yes. I have no idea what my number is. Oh, okay. Well, we will... I'll have to make you figure that out and then uh, report back next time we record. Yeah. Um, So, um, okay. So, yeah. So, non-spoilers out of the way. Uh, Yeah. uh, Let's go into spoilers. Yes. All right. And so, like, I'm going to play some music beforehand. And, god damn, my stupid app keeps messing up. But I'm going to play some music beforehand before we get into... Needful things. The, the, fin- the, the final Castle Rock story. <laughs> Is it though? Okay, so here we go. Castle Rock! Yeah! Woo! Let's go! Castle Rock is in the house tonight. Everybody just have a king time. Review that. <laughs> and spoilers on for needful things. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh for our listeners, I paused the recording so I could add that to the board. <laughs> he did. Um, he sure did. I forgot about it. Uh so yeah, so I'm thrilled that we were able to recycle that and reuse that. Um so yeah, so needful things, spoilers on. Um there are a couple of things that I want to kind of touch on with spoilers. And first and foremost, I don't know if this is a 90s thing in terms of audiobook production. But like we both listen to the audiobook, I have said many, many times in the past, I do not understand why any audiobook producer would think it's a good idea to include music in an audiobook production. It so does not work. It doesn't. And it is yeah. so frustrating. And it's it's egregious in this in particular. It's very bad. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's a scene where, oh, God, I can't remember that. Wilma... Jurgens and uh, the other woman, the two women who murder each other in the mm-hmm. street, they're murdering each other in the street, and then the fucking music comes on. Yeah. It's like this classical or like the circus type of music. And I'm like, I don't need that. <laughs> I don't like the words that are being read to me are the words that I would read in the book if I were reading it. And I wouldn't <laughs> have music playing in the background while I'm reading it. Yeah. Because it's a theater of the mind thing. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck, why would. Uh, 
So like this this big moment is kind of squandered for me because I had to fucking listen to circus music. <laughs> um, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. I feel like they think they're adding something to the story, but yeah. really all it does is distract and it actually takes something away from it. And that's why I think that maybe it's a 90s thing because yeah. I haven't I can't think of any audiobooks that were published in the last uh, like decade or so that have that have that kind of annoyance to it um, yeah but yeah so i don't know it, ju- it just bothered me a little bit on the subject of audiobooks um i was at a bookstore i was at books a million and i was surprised to find that i don't know if this is a hard case crime thing but they had a they had a, a book on cd copy of later um hmm. so like they actually had like at like old-fashioned cd um huh. audiobook wow um which i i kind of thought that you know, streaming and Audible and everything kind of made that obsolete. But right. I guess not. Yeah, I guess not. Um, um, yeah. It was also read by Stephen King himself. Yes, we didn't talk about that. Yeah. How did you feel about that? I, it was good. I mean, he mm-hmm. did a, he did a good job. I think it's it's fun because he knows exactly how everything's supposed to be read. And yeah. The right tone and the mm-hmm. right volume for everything. Uh, of course, he does the accent super mm-hmm. well. I just love, you know, that, he was speaking lines and he was like, that's Norris's car. Right. right. Stuff like that. <laughs> that whole prologue uh, and epilogue of the book where uh, he's like, it, it's this kind of first person kind of speaking to the audience thing where it's like, and I, I wanted to do like a thing where I would write a script where it's like, um, for this episode where I would try to do a new England accent where I would be like, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, look, over, look over there, not over there. That's where pizza is, but over across the table there, there's tiny, you know, he's, he's been podcasting with Matt for about eight years now and just like doing this whole thing. <laughs> um, but I, I was delighted by that because I, I love when Stephen King goes full full New England. Yeah. <laughs> um, like the accent is is just great. It's delightful. Mm-hmm. Um and I thought that it really I I meant to go back and listen to that first thing again because it's just detailing all of the interactions and all of the relationships between all the characters and everything. And I, I mean, I was delighted by that. Mm-hmm. Um, how'd you feel about that that prologue introduction? introduction? I, you know, I actually don't remember it that well. Oh, interesting. I'm, I'm not sure why. Um, I didn't really have much knowledge of what this book was about. Oh, interesting. And so I wasn't really. Um, I was worried he was going to give something away. Oh, okay. about it because sometimes writers will do that. I've, mm. It has maybe happened to me before with the Stephen King book. Yeah. Like I'm reading a certain version of it where it's mm-hmm. like they publish it with a foreword from the author where he's like talking about now in this part of the book where this happens, well, I was thinking this. And so I was kind of worried that was going to happen. I don't know. Okay. Cause that's not what this. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I I didn't, I didn't pay enough attention, I guess. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I was going to say when you said, uh, uh, authors might spoil something and everything. Like my immediate thought was like, every time Stephen King says, says something in a book that's like, and then he picked up that gun, and he didn't know that that gun was going to put a bullet in the brain of the person that he loved, or something like that. Right. And like in thirty pages, um, in thirty pages, this gun is going to be used to kill this character, <laughs> um, because that's what that's what Stephen King does. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I was delighted by it just because of the New England accent, mm-hmm. and it did. It was a little bit. It was a little bit not hard to follow, but it was like. It was a little bit it, going in a little too cold. 
but the way that he uses that as a bookend for the end of the book, um, which is how bookends work, um, the epilogue where it has the same kind of thing in a different state, um, a same same kind of like just normal townsperson person mm-hmm. uh, speaking about the town and everything and then referencing like, oh, you know, prayers answered is a new store coming up or whatever the store is. Mm-hmm. Just showing that, you know, Leland Gaunt is on the prowl and still right. out there. Yeah. Um, by the way, you've been watching a lot, or at least you were at a certain point watching a lot of uh, Rick and Morty. Did you catch the reference to Needful Things in Rick and Morty in like one of the early episodes? I don't remember that now. Yeah. Um, what's who's who's uh, Morty's sister? Summer. Summer. I think she's she works for this uh, for this guy in this little shop. Okay. Who turns out to be like a demon or something. <laughs> okay. And his name is Mister Needful. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yep. I didn't know that. Yeah, I think it's in one of the early like season one episodes or something. Gotcha. Okay. Um. But yeah, and so yeah, that epilogue was really cool and everything. I, I like how that book ended it and everything. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So. In spoilers, uh, anything you want to talk about in specifics? Yeah, I think um, one thing that I don't I don't know if it was super clear or like when it started to be revealed, but I I think it's interesting that um, you know it seems miraculous that Leland Gaunt would have these uh, relatively obscure objects that these people are looking for, mm-hmm. like. The specifically 1956 Sandy Koufax rookie card or whatever mm-hmm. it is, or a specific piece of this decorative glass or, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's crazy. And so we find out later on that it wasn't a 1956 Sandy Koufax right. card. It was just a random baseball card. And he was essentially using his magic, his illusory magic to mm-hmm. make Brian think it was a 1956 Sandy Koufax card. Yep. And he did that with everything. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't, I'm not sure the point that that was revealed. And, and I, I thought it was cool. Like I thought it was really interesting. Like the, the point that that with that specific example, the Sandy Koufax card was when his younger brother was talking to Sheriff Pangborn. Yeah. And he says, I don't know why he cared about that old, that old crusty bent up baseball card so much, but he was mm-hmm. obsessed with it and he was constantly looking at it and stuff like yeah. that. And, and, uh, I think. And is that after he killed himself? I think it is. Yeah. Which so that fucked me up. That was crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and the other one was, uh, I think Norris, uh, uh, Deputy Norris is like looking mm-hmm. at, uh, um, Hugh Priest's. He's like looking in his window and he sees him. With the foxtail, and it's like an old, raggedy, worn-out, ugly-looking thing. Yeah. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Okay, like, I thought that was cool. I liked that. But I wasn't sure how early on that first started being revealed. Okay, like how... In the book. I I can't remember what the first example was where he said... Right. It's not, you know, it's not actually the... What was it? The um, sunglasses from Elvis? Uh, Yeah. That he sold, that came with a picture or something like that? I I don't remember, but... Yeah, I I can't remember what 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 was the first one and how early on that was revealed. Yeah, I kind of think I, I, it would have been probably better if it was a little more pronounced and that was a more yeah. pivotal right. kind of revelation in it. Yeah, um, I don't, I didn't, you know, I don't, it's not a big criticism I have. Mm-hmm. I guess I think it was interesting how it was slow, slowly revealed or mm-hmm. um, subtly revealed yeah. that he was basically just giving him junk and making him think it was something amazing. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's cool. I really like yeah. that part of the story. Um, but yeah. It, I guess I didn't have a problem with it being so subtle, but I guess mm. 
I, I wish I would have paid closer attention to when that started being revealed. And gotcha. I don't know. Um, I I didn't really mind it, or I didn't I didn't really re- register that in my mind when I was reading it. Like I, I didn't I didn't register. It didn't throw me off. I'll say that it didn't mm-hmm. throw me off when it started revealing that. Like oh shit, these things are not what they seem. Yeah. Because I kind of already kind of assumed that going forward and everything, because obviously, I mean, him just conjuring the card up. Um, I, I don't know. I, I didn't mind, or I wasn't too confused by all of that. Mm-hmm. I think specifically because I think that that, that element of the story is kind of my read of it or my theory, my, my, um, my thought about that is that it's kind of speaking to this, um, possessive nature of the characters and how they value their possessions even though they are being glamored by this demon person Mm -hmm. and everything they still put more importance over physical possessions than they do like actual human interactions or anything right um it's like it's i think that it's more interesting to me that it's more them succumbing to having that possession rather than them succumbing to something that isn't actually there, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, I think the, um, another part of the book I appreciated a lot was, I, I, I'm not sure how to characterize it or quantify it, but basically the, kind of the voice in the back of the head for Sheriff Pangborn Mm -hmm. that sort of mocks him about his wife and son being dead. Yeah. I thought that was just so, like, cruel and, like, painful the way it... Because, like, I I mean, I can't imagine what that's like, and I'm sure it's literally something that haunts him every moment of every day, but it's it was really fascinating that that, uh, that pain was sort of focused into this mocking voice that's like oh hey it's me again you idiot your family's dead like it's so cruel Mm -hmm. and but i loved it like oh yeah it was it just wasn't what i was expecting i Mm -hmm. i guess i expected something more somber and i think i think part of it was stephen king's performance too Mm -hmm. because the voice that he employed for that that character quote unquote Mm -hmm. was just made it extra cruel yeah it was almost like 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 a like a carnival barker type yes. thing or like a like a a ridiculous um infomercial mm-hmm. spokesperson kind of voice um just really it just added to the cruelty of it and i yeah. thought it was super effective and made him added to the tragedy tragedy of his character i i agree like one of the first scenes where we are with pangborn and he's thinking about his child and his wife and everything mm-hmm. um <laughs> this is I don't need to provide this context, but I was in line in the drive-thru at McDonald's and listening to that <laughs> and like, it was ripping me apart. Yeah. It was, it was very sad and, and depressing. I, I loved the way that King wrote his grief in, yeah. in Pangborn. Right. Um, I, and I think that that maybe part of that might be me having just a, just an affinity for the Alan Pangborn character from season one of Castle Rock. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was really taken with that. And that's kind of one of the things that I, I wish was more pronounced with all the other characters. Like we get a yeah. lot of that in bits and pieces. Like um, I'm going to butcher all the names I'm sure, but like Polly with the arthritis was interesting. Mm-hmm. And like we get, it's a sprawling story. And I just kind of think that, Maybe it could have been it. It could have been expanded just a little bit more. Um, yeah, 
with more interactions, more build up toward the conflicts that's going to arise throughout all of the town. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I, I also would have, um, I think I would have appreciated the progression of the story and the conflict a little more if, if, if Gaunt was a little more hands off because yeah. I, I think it would have been cool if he had just, just planted the seed and done, mm-hmm. You know, he he has these people do these seemingly they're described in like the description as like a prank yeah. type thing. It's just um, a prank, bro. Right. <laughs> um and, and they are initially, but then like people come back to him and he like literally gives them a fucking pistol, like gives them a yeah. gun and stuff like that. And I think it would have been more interesting and more wild to mm-hmm. see all the basically all he has them do is something as Something as innocent as Brian kicking mud on somebody's sheets. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, it, it's a dick move, but it's not right. in the grand scheme of things. It's a tiny thing. Yeah. But that one action culminating in these two women murdering each other. Right. It would have been crazy if something so small like that led to that without him stoking the fire even more if he yeah i think that would have been a more interesting path for it and he it would have been interesting to see him weave that story Mm -hmm. uh the the creativity he would need to weave that story to get to those extremes extreme reactions to such a small thing yeah that would have been just kind of letting it fester and right as as opposed to him continually stoking the fire yeah i think that would have been a little bit cooler and plus he you know in in the end we find out he was basically collecting pieces of people's souls i guess right you know selling your soul for a sandy koufax rookie card or whatever and that's cool but it's like why 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 is there any further transaction Right. than that initial sale, right? Like, yeah. he, he, why does he have to have... Why did he have Ace and Meryl go get all those guns so they can start shooting mm-hmm. each other up and killing each other? I don't really get that. Other, yeah. other than he's just kind of a mischievous demon. Right. But it's not It's not like the, the entity in It where it continually right. feeds off fear and it's something you mm-hmm. can essentially farm from a person, like you draw milk from a cow, you know? Right. It's not like that for him. And so I thought that was kind of weird that he went to all the lengths to, like, giving these people guns so they can go kill each other. I don't understand why It was a was... little too direct. Right. It was, right. like you said, too hands-on. Um, yeah. And I, just, I don't really understand his motivation for it. Yeah, same same here. Yeah. How did you feel about Ace Merrill? Um, also. He was... So, my only real connection to Ace Merrill is uh, the Castle Rock TV show. That's right, because you've never read The Body. I have not read The Body. Or yeah. seen Stand By Me. Right, I've never seen it. Yeah. Nice. Um, so, I don't really have any reference for him other than that mm-hmm. show and really he's spoiler alert for season two of castle rock but right. he's really only ace merrill for like the first episode right <laughs> and that's Which, it i so i uh <laughs> when i was writing the high of, of finishing billy summers i was like i want to consume more king stuff <laughs> um so i was working from home and i just threw on castle rock in the background on my laptop and mm-hmm. having read having now read Needful Things and um, The Sun Dog, which features Pop Merrill, and knowing obviously the body and Stand by Me and everything, mm-hmm. uh, and Misery. Um, I like, and I think maybe in the back of my mind, I also had the um, the Overlook show not being not being going forward at HBO Max, kind of in the back of my head. But 
just watching like the second episode of season two of Castle Rock, spoilers for this episode. So if you haven't seen that episode or the first two episodes of season two of Castle Rock, just skip ahead 30 seconds. But I was just kind of amazed because like there's a scene in episode two of season two of Castle Rock that has Pop Merrill confronting Annie Wilkes in a hospital questioning her about the whereabouts of Ace Merrill, who Annie Wilkes just murdered with an ice cream scoop in the previous episode. Yeah. Like that just, (laughs) that congealing of Stephen King universes Mm -hmm. together. Like, I, I mean, just think, think about like giving this, giving that like sentence to someone who was like reading needful things when it was when it was uh was uh published in 91 right like how fucking bonkers is that that (laughs) we have that as stephen king fans right um so yeah so i thought that was that was kind of an interesting observation yeah um so i yeah i don't i didn't have much of a reference for him really i knew he wasn't really a good guy Mm -hmm. but um He's really a dick. Like he's yeah. he's really kind of a piece of shit person. Right. Um and I I was just, I wasn't aware of how just how like criminal he was mm-hmm. that he was like a, you know a drug dealer and yeah. shit like that. I I, I never He's really a sparrow. Re- <laughs> he's a sparrow. Um yeah, I never I just never realized just how kind of diabolical and how much of a bad guy he was. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting cuz this is an older Ace Merrill than we've seen in King's work, I guess. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something that, like, I know you haven't read the Sundog or anything, but something I picked up on, and this could probably have been saved for later in the, in the, in the review, but I did like a couple of Stephen King isms that were in it. Um, Mm -hmm. one in particular was, uh, when Gaunt is talking to Ace, um, he slips in one of Pop's expressions and Ace is just kind of taken aback by it. So like in the Sundog, um, Pop Merrill, uh, he uses the, he frequently uses the expression, uh, if I think it's, uh, if you understand my meaning and Leland Gaunt just very subtly like says that to Ace and it throws him off and everything. Mm, yeah. Um, but then the other one that I'm sure that you picked up on was, <laughs> uh, King uses his, uh, new car smell thing. Yeah. And it, I thought that was, that was pretty right. funny. Yeah. Uh, nothing better except maybe pussy, <laughs> uh, reference to Christine, of course. Right. Um, so yeah, so kind of the one of the other things that I think could have been and should have been expanded upon, and I mean, I, overall, I I liked the book. I liked it quite a bit. I, in ter- I it's kind of a middle of the middle grounds or middle of the road, uh, book for me for King's overall bibliography. But something that I feel like was a was a was at fault for it was the um the conflict between the churches and like the, the casino night and the church. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish that that had been more prominent and more, uh, more focused and center. Yeah. Um, because when it comes to the point where they are like, like violent toward each other, it just feels like it's background noise. And totally. And I don't know if that's intentional or if that's just something that was a, something that King just, didn't feel like expanding on or anything. Yeah. I'm not sure either. It, it did kind of fall by the wayside. Yeah. I think because there were so many other characters, mm-hmm. uh, there, there was more of the meat of the conflict, I guess. Yeah. Because um, while they were basically rioting in the street against each other, mm-hmm. that was when, you know, 
the bombs were already going off. Yeah. And I think Pangborn had already, he had maybe already gone into Needle Things and watched the video. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, Which that, like, I, I love the kind of, um, off center conflict between Gaunt and, uh, and Pangborn. Yeah. Cause they're both like, they're kind of opposite ends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, I think at one point, Pangborn says that it's the coming of the white or something, which is a big mm-hmm. thing in Stephen King, like the white versus the bad, I guess. I don't know. Hmm. Um, but it, it's, it's really, I, I like the way that they're just kind of, they're antagonist antagonists for each other, but they're they're they rarely meet. They don't meet until the end. Right, right. Um, yeah, I just I, I like that they kind of represent opposite ends of the violent spectrum. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, yeah, yep. Um, in terms of there being kind of little like faults and and uh, situations in in the um anachronistic things that that are what are what kind of clue people into um in like in terms of polly and pangborn like polly i we didn't talk about this but i really liked her kind of the way that her backstory is her downfall for pangborn her relationship with pangborn because she has the secret she has this kind of guilt and pain in her past and like the way that gaunt exploits that is by making her think that Alan has gone behind her back to find information, which I thought was, was really clever and, and a pretty bil- brilliant kind of villain move for him. Totally. Yeah. But I like that there are little pieces there that like, like she realizes like, wait, no, there's no way that he could have done that. Cause he wouldn't have used this name or anything. He would right. have used that name. Yeah. And then with, uh, the video of, of the accident, it's like, well, she's not wearing a seatbelt. She always wears a seatbelt or right. the opposite is or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I liked that. I think that that came together really well. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It was his investigative side as a police officer served mm-hmm. him well. And yeah, I forget, was she, was she a police officer as well? No, she, I think, worked at uh, so-and-so or you so-and-so. Um, okay. The sewing shop next to or around gotcha. where Needful Things was. Okay, I couldn't remember. But yeah. Yeah, it was... It, I, I liked... I did enjoy the uh, kind of investigative side of yeah. Alan Pangborn, how he never really gave up on it. And like he mm-hmm. was like, there's something else going on here behind the scenes. And... You know, everyone else was like, well, these two women just kind of hated each other and it finally yeah. boiled over and here we go. Yeah. And he wasn't willing to write it off that easily. Right. Yeah. The so. brutalness of that was just really... Yeah. That I think that's like the first big violent part of, of the book and that kind of was yeah. where it my interest kind of really uh, turned a corner and, and picked up a bit. Sure. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to talk about in spoilers? I feel like... Um, I liked, I also really enjoyed the team up of, uh, Ace Merrill and Danforth Keaton. Oh yeah. Um, cause Keaton just like goes off the deep end. Yeah. He's just off his rocker. Yeah. Buster. Yeah. Buster. Yeah. Um, I mean, when he kills his wife and everything. It, that was, that was, that was nuts. crazy. Cause yeah. I, I feel like more than, more than anybody else. Cause I think what Ace Merrill did, him going off going nuts and doing what he does is kind of mm-hmm. in character for him. He's yeah. he's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um but 
and, and Keaton's obviously a bad guy too, but he's not violent, right? And he's just he's just nuts. Like mm. he's 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 more calculated. Or yeah. he's the he's the kind of uh, the the crooked politician who's right. calculated behind closed doors, and mm. um, that's that's his role. But then he's he's just fully off the deep end villain mode. Yeah. By the end, and it's crazy to see his progression. Yeah, and and it makes me. The whole thing with the parking ticket and everything and, and uh, him parking in the handicap spot. And yeah. How that is like kind of like seeding the conflict that he has or the yeah. power struggle, or I guess, between between them or in, in the book. That reminds me of how, how much season two of Castle Rock drew from this story, in my opinion. Because mm. like even that like the first <laughs> – I, I feel like the first – a scene with Pop Pop Merrill in uh in in Castle Rock season two is like him berating a couple of deputies for mm-hmm. uh fucking parking tickets. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Anyway, I just I I kind of like that. Totally. Um. Yeah, and I I I think that kind of overall, this story did does have a has a strong place in the King canon for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think overall it's mostly because of <laughs> no offense to the book, but it just evoked feelings from the monsters are doing on Maple Street from Twilight Zone, which is one of my favorite episodes. Mm-hmm. But it has that Stephen King spin, it has that Stephen King feel, even though some of it is a little bit derivative from from his previous work and it's a little bit it's not as fresh as as the as the kind of uh, as some of his higher tier books in his in his bibliography. It's still interesting, and again, the thing that I latched onto was the way that it unravels the community aspect of Castle Rock and how yeah. it exposes this this ugly underbelly of like this this how um, how how delicate and fragile and volatile an ecosystem is of this community. And I think that's the most compelling part of the book for me. Totally, totally. Yep. Um, I'm yeah. curious to watch the movie because mm. um, I kind of liked at the the climax of the story how Leland Gaunt sort of transforms into his true form kind of sort of like this demon riding a black horse type thing who yeah. rides off into the into the night mm-hmm. and uh, like i'm i thought that was some cool imagery kind of um mm-hmm. maybe a little a little labored i guess yeah. and 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 a little um a little obvious, maybe a little too on the nose. A little, um, uh, yeah. As compared to like the climax of, um, wow, um, <laughs> I can't think of the dang name of the story. This is bad. Um, the electricity book. Um, <laughs> goddamn, yeah, revival, revival. Yeah. Thank you. Like the, the, I, I love that. I love the, the electricity, <laughs> electricity book. book. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, I couldn't think of that to save my life. That is awesome. Um, but like the imagery in that is so disturbing and well yeah. done. Where compared to the imagery in this is just a little kind of archaic, kind of on the yeah. nose. I, I don't. I don't have a big issue with it. I thought it was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious to see 1990s low budget movie, like how shitty that is. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and kind of on a deeper level of that, um, it it also kind of feels a little bit, like you said, labored and and a little easy. Yeah, um, easy, archaic. Yeah, and and kind of. Yeah. A, I mean, again, kind of to evoke other works in Stephen King's career. 
I mean, it's the same kind of thing that happens in, in The Stand. Right. Um, just like, oh, just the villain demon character gets away. And right. And starts a new life somewhere. Yeah. Um, to With the intention of wreaking havoc over something else. Mm-hmm. It just kind of seems like, okay, we've been through, we've done this, we've done this dance before, Steve. <laughs> like, maybe, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know dance terminology. Um, <laughs> mix it up a little bit. Yeah, mix it up a little bit. Uh, twirl us a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah. So that so that was kind of to the detriment. I would wager a guess that we should probably keep our expectations of the movie low. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Was uh, it like a TV movie? No. It was. It was I believe it was a theatrical release. Theatrical release. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Do you know any of the cast? I know Ed Harris plays Paintborn, yeah. but that's I, and oh and um. Max von Sydow plays Gaunt, yes. right? That's good casting. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, I agree. I wasn't casting. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm, I'm in it. I'm Brian Rusk. Um, <laughs> That's great. God. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. guessing it's going to be kind of a low-budget 90s kind of trashy movie. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when we do get to the Dark Half eventually, uh, do you know who directed the Dark Half movie? Mm-mm. Okay. I'll keep that. I'll keep that close to the close to the chest. Okay. Um, I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, I'll just say it. it's George A. Romero. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't so, know that. That's cool. Yeah. So interesting. Huh. Um, old pal of Steve's. Yeah. Okay, I think we've sufficiently talked it out. Yes. Um, any parting thoughts for needful things? And uh, yeah, any any. Oh, I wanted to ask this. <laughs> any parting thoughts for needful things? And. If you were to walk into a, a a creepy shop with a creepy owner, what would he give you that would Ooh. be like the thing that you want that would give your soul to him? Oh man. Ooh. <sighs> That's a tough call. Yes. I really don't know. I don't know if there's anything that could really make me I don't. I don't know. I mean, um, maybe the Borg Warner Trophy or something like that. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh, that's the trophy you get for winning Indy Five Hundred. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Has all the drivers' faces on it. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Which is funny because it's not like a trophy you get to keep. Like it's right. a it's a rotating trophy, like the Stanley Cup. It's like yeah. a rotating trophy. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I, I'm not sure what would make me do that. Yeah. Me neither. Um. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Another kitty that's just like pizza. Oh, a little kitty. And yeah, she's so pretty. Okay. <laughs> um oh yeah. Okay. So any any parting thoughts? That's a terrible answer. That's not yeah, a, not an interesting fine. answer. <laughs> um do you see yourself reading this again at any point? I don't think so. Okay. Um it, it like it was fine. I think it was kind of a like you said a middle of the road three stars kind of book. It it's not not a not a shitty read or anything. Not a bad book, but not not anything that's super memorable either. So. Yeah. What did you rate it on Goodreads? I think did you rate things on Goodreads. I did. I think I gave it four stars. I should probably drop it down to like three, three and a half. I'm same way. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. Okay. Well, that'll do it for our review of Needful Things. Check back next time. We're going to be reviewing the movie, which came out in 1993. Um, and I don't have any of the information. Up, pizza is biting the thing, and I'm, I'm <laughs> love this cat to death. <laughs> um, come on, pizza, don't don't do that. Tiny, do you have like a Swiss Army knife? Oh my god, um, I don't. That's terrible. That's terrible. Uh, Needful Things, 1993, directed by. Um, 
uh, Fraser Heston. That was Fraser Heston. <laughs> Starring Max von Sydow, Ed Harris, uh, Bonnie Bedelia, uh, Amanda Plummer, and uh, a bunch of other people. Uh, so look forward to that. Tiny, any parting thoughts for our listeners? No. All right. Well, I will just say to reiterate once again, if you are reading Billy Summers and you want a four hour kind of comprehensive, but also dipshittish um, <laughs> uh, discussion about it, check out Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Just pledge $2 per month to get access to this, to the $2 reward tier or $2 Patreon tier, which has, which will give you full access to all five of those episodes, plus a plethora of other content that is unlocked at the $2 level. Uh, once again, that's patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And uh, yeah, let me know what you think of Billy Summers and those episodes. Uh, yeah. So having said all that, I'm going to play us out and I just want to say thank you guys so much for listening and uh, yeah I guess the last thing that I can say here is long days and pleasant nights and may you have twice the number and now here's a short clip from our Patreon exclusive RSS feed to hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month Thank you and enjoy. Um, but it's just interesting to kind of go into a Stephen King story. Like we had this year, we had later, um, which is kind of a similar kind of like thriller kind of thing, but also it is steeped in the supernatural. It has ghosts. It has supernatural abilities and stuff. So far in the first 100 pages or first 95 pages of Billy Summers, there's nothing supernatural. And I'm pretty happy with that. I'm pretty happy with that. I'm pretty... Um, I'm comfortable with it. I'm really liking the way that Billy Summers is making his entrance into the Stephen King universe and how his introduction to the reader is this very low key kind of just, just kind of, it, it kind of feels like King is just, he's tapped into this character that he likes, um, being Billy Summers and he, it, it's almost like reading these first hundred pages. It's like he's exploring it a little bit, exploring the character a little bit. And it's like he's having fun with it. He's, he's very much taking his time with divulging information about Billy. I love the little snippets where he is talking to Tower Junkies is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to towerjunkiespod.com slash archive. You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash towerjunkiespod and follow us on Twitter at towerjunkiespod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is just a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at towerjunkiespod.com slash donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official obsessive viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for obsessive viewer at tpublic.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. 
You can also find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and OV Anthologypod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Music for the podcast is provided with permission from Fingers T on YouTube. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. Kitty!